0: the ground poor pearl poor girl her head was never found scott jackson had a pregnant girlfriend
1: pearl Bryan was her name he and alonzo walling met
0: her at the train that night a plot unfolded poor pearl lost her life scott and alonzo
2: day to each of you blood donors. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowler's podcast part of your day. Those tunes that just graced your old eardrums are of course courtesy of the amazing Bobby Mackey. And as always, I'm your host, Tessa Morrow. Today we find ourselves in the state capital of Ohio, that being Columbus, also known as the buggy capital of the world. But we are here for no buggy, for it is the Ohio Penitentiary that demands our attention, also known as Ohio State Pen. In 1832, the legislature approves building for a new penitentiary. This one will be able to house 500 convicts, and it's built in 1834. Now, in 1885, the Ohio Penitentiary becomes the location for all of Ohio's executions. And I'll dive a little more into those, six feet deep to be exact, in a short while. In 1916, the Ohio Reformatory for Women is opened and all the women inmates who are at the pen are transferred over there. In 1955, an all-time high of 5,235 prisoners are at the Ohio Penitentiary. That's a shitload of people, my friends. And In 1972, construction for the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility is complete, and a majority of the inmates are transferred there. Ohio State Pen closes its doors for the final time in 1984 and remains abandoned for several years until it is demolished in 1997. Here at the Ohio State Pen, well, huh, this simply was no picnic. Oftentimes, haystacks were used for beds. Blankets would only be given to the prisoners during the winter time. I've known there to be several chilly nights in spring and fall, and well, even in summer sometimes, depending where you're at. The men would work during the day. They would work in the factory shops on the prison grounds. This includes making leather harnesses, hats, shoes. Brooms, and other household items. Then at night, they would simply just be locked up in solitary confinement. The conditions here were not good, to say the least. The clothing the inmates had, if you want to call them clothing, was absolutely filthy, rarely, if ever, washed. No medical treatment was ever available for these people, and oftentimes, diarrhea, dysentery, and other epidemics would kill off the convicts. In 1849, a cholera outbreak comes barreling through the prison and it claims 116 people's lives. At the time, there were only 423 people there to begin with. Life was bad for them when they were behaving themselves. Can you imagine when they would misbehave? The punishment was severe as they would endure brutal physical punishment. Some may even think of it as being, I don't know, tortured. Whipping was the main form until 1844, which was then replaced by dunking the inmates in huge vats of water. This was before executions were happening. A prisoner was once quoted saying,
1: I saw a lot of men die behind the walls. How many? I can't even remember half of them, but there was a lot of killing.
2: Between 1886 and 1900, Warden E.G. Coffin, and yes my friends, that is his real name, Coffin, he was in control of the state pen. It is on one day, that being Christmas actually, in 1888, that Coffin decides to put a stop to the punishment, that be dunking.
1: A hard box to sleep on and bread and water to eat will cause them to behave themselves. It, It may not be speedy, but it is more humane.
2: However, that didn't seem to be the case, as in 1894, it was revealed by prisoners that not only do they still get physically punished, but in different forms, being locked in sweat boxes, and using the ball and chain, and so much more. Some claim to be blindfolded while being tortured with water hoses. And, you know, I mean, it wasn't always bad here. I mean, though, it wasn't paradise. It was a state penitentiary. But during Warden Alvis's time here, he truly worked hard to make things better. He believed that, hey, I want to rehabilitate these inmates and the ones who actually show improvement, who are trying to better themselves. He wants to release those changed men back onto the streets. They would even have this fun Christmas show that everybody, staff included, would look forward to doing all year long. They had holiday wrestling and boxing matches. They even had a baseball team. They were known as the Hurricanes. The warden didn't want them just to be working all day and solitary confinement all night. He didn't want these men and women to be angry and bitter and full of resentment. One April day in 1930, What started off as a regular day, suddenly a fire breaks out throughout the penitentiary when a candle ignites oily rags. This would be the most deadliest fire in the history of American prisons and the worst fire in Ohio's history. This fire kills 322 inmates and injuring 230 others. At the point of the fire breaking out, most of the inmates had stopped working for the day and had been locked back up. Most of the guards refused flat out to open the cells as the inmates screamed for their lives to be saved as they began to burn to death. Several of the inmates that had not been locked up yet overpower some of the guards and take their keys and start letting inmates out. Unfortunately, a riot does occur, and firefighters who come to actually fight the fire, they're greeted by being attacked by rocks being thrown at them. Prison authorities believe that three inmates were responsible for this fire. This was an escape plan that backfired to the extreme, no pun intended. 322 people perish. Hundreds of others are hurt. Within a short time after the fire, I would say maybe a couple of months afterwards, two of the suspected arsonists slash murderers commit suicide. Chester Himes, a former inmate, was here during the deadly inferno. He was doing 20 to 25 years for armed robbery. During his time here in the pen, he would write short stories, and some of them were actually published. One story was, To What Red Hell? which was published in Esquire in 1934. He details that horrific day, and I want to read a little short part of that right now.
1: White man, black man, Gentile Jew, the old and the young, the lame and the sound. Some used to be bankers, politicians, some sneak thieves, some racketeers. Now they were just gray humps on the bare ground. Whatever they had been, or had ever dreamt of being, whatever they have done, or failed to do so, whatever their race or nationality or their background, that foot of greenish vomit hanging from their teeth made them all alike.
2: You know, reading this, I try to picture what they were going through, and it must have been absolutely terrifying. I can't even imagine.
1: A variegated color pattern formed before his eyes, black smoke, mantled night, yellow light, red flames, gray death, crisscrossing into maggoty confusion.
2: And one last bit.
1: The sights of convicts who were in for murder and rape and arson, who had shot down policemen in dark alleys, who had snatched pocketbooks and run who had stolen automobiles and forged checks, who had mutilated women and carved their torso into separate arms and legs and hands and packed them into trunks, now working overtime at their jobs of being heroes, being through the smoke with reckless haste to save some other bastard's worthless life white faces gleaming with sweat, streaked with soot, white teeth flashing in greasy black faces, all working like mad at being heroes, some laughing, some solemn, some hysterical, drunk from their momentary freedom, drunk from being brave for once in a cowardly life.
2: The deadliest fire in Ohio history. It's hard to fathom what took place this day. So, was it just a horrible accident, or was the fire set intentionally? Some believe it to have been supernatural. You see, the West Cell Block was added to the original prison back in 1875. This is where many of the inmates met their untimely fiery deaths. It is believed that this section was built over an old prison cemetery. And word is that the bodies were never even moved to another burial location. It wouldn't just be fires, epidemics, and executions that claimed lives here. Several riots have taken place at the Ohio State Pen. October 31st, 1952, a riot breaks out, and this is known as the Halloween Riot. Oftentimes, the shitty conditions would be the result to riots. In this case, it was actually the food. The prisoners were unhappy and thought that even though it's a penitentiary, the food could be a hell of a lot better than what they were actually being served. One former prisoner from back in 1942, Gentry Richardson, said this.
0: They would give us butter beans with a piece of fat sow belly in there with a hair on it. The big hairs would be up to an inch long.
2: That's gross. The riot starts in one of the mess halls. Several of the inmates begin to bang very loudly on their cups with their spoons. And in a mess hall close by, food and utensils start being thrown all throughout the area. Now, this may not seem like much, right? It's just food. But remember, it's not some high school where kids are having your typical food fight and detention is thrown their way and they kind of sulk and walk away or what have you. These are hardened criminals with a rap sheet that includes murder, rape, and so much more. A lot of the inmates around see what is taking place and want no more of it. They don't want any part of this riot. They don't need to get in trouble any further than what they are already in. So they calmly walk away and go into their cells on their own free will. Unfortunately, it's not just food being thrown about. But gangs of inmates are formed, where they start jumping their fellow convicts. Fires are also set throughout the penitentiary. By 10 p.m., five hours after the riot had started, authorities, including the Ohio Highway Patrol, prison guards, the local PD, National Guardsmen, have forced the rioters back into their designated cell blocks. However, the whole penitentiary is not under authority control, for the prisoners in cell blocks G, H, I, and K have total control. This goes on for a couple days, mind you. And finally, on November 3rd, the warden cuts off not only all food, the thing that the riot started on, we'll keep our hair, (laughs) but also heat, water, and power to those specific blocks. While most of the inmates have had quite enough themselves and they start to actually surrender, like, I'm done with this, you know? There are a few that began to throw anything and everything that they can at the guards and the officers. They're ordered to stop.
0: Stop immediately.
2: They flat out refuse. No. They had to know that this was not going to end well. Authorities, they open fire, injuring four inmates and killing one. During this riot, besides one death and four injuries, and quite the mess, three buildings are destroyed by fires. And in 1968, 16 years after the Halloween riot, a much more serious and deadly riot breaks out in the Ohio State Penitentiary. Nine guards are held hostage, and in the end, five inmates will be dead and several injured. This riot costs. about $1 million in damages. Today, that's close to $8 million. Nine buildings were destroyed, and six others, well, they were badly damaged. Due to overcrowding and the unruly riots, Governor James Rhodes demands a new maximum security prison be built, this time in the remote town of Lucasville. Warden Harold Cardwell is put in charge, and he cancels all sports teams, Christmas shows, events, everything else, basically, that the inmates enjoyed doing and looking forward to. This ridiculous behavior will not be tolerated and simply won't be rewarded. Not only this, but the inmates will remain in permanent lockdown until Southern Ohio Correctional Facility can be completed. Which, eventually, it is in 1972. That is when most of the prisoners are transferred. The only ones left at Ohio Penn are the psychotic and the most dangerous. They are ordered to shut down in 1979, and they're given the deadline of you better be out of here by December 31st, 1983. So let's talk a little bit about the executions. To date, Ohio has seen 393 condemned men and women be executed. Like so many places, hanging was the original method. And in Ohio, whatever county the crime was committed, that's where the person would be executed. There was no specific location that people would go to. That was until 1885 when the law required all executions take place in Columbus at the Ohio Penitentiary. It is then that the gallows are moved within the prison's walls.
1: Punishment of death shall be by hanging by the neck until the person to be punished shall be dead.
2: Hanging would remain the method of execution until the mid to late 1890s. 28 people died this way. The gallows were set originally nearby the State Pen at a location that they called Penitentiary Hill. During one execution back in 1844, a murderer is hanged. And during the excitement, an innocent bystander, a man named Sullivan Sweet, is trampled by a horse. Now, I couldn't find anything whether he died from that or if he was just badly hurt. But trampled by a horse, ouch, doesn't sound good. Now, two physicians were actually at the scene ready to take the condemned man's remains. And not as a team, mind you, but to compete. They wanted that body, but who's gonna get it? Well, the deceased he's buried. Well, one physician exhumes the murderer and tries to run off with it, and he's shot by the other physician, the second being the victor and keeping the body. Seems like something out of a movie, not real life if you ask me. The condemned man, his foot was preserved in alcohol, and it was actually on display in a doctor's office on East Town Street for several years. A death house is created within the walls of the penitentiary. The death house duties were to stay with the prisoner during their last meal. And later on, when the form of execution would be death by electric chair, guards would have to take turns when it came to fastening the straps and flipping the switch. Now the warden would actually get $75 overtime pay to split among the attending officers. $75 then? Today that's around $1,248. And this was during the time of the depression, the not so great depression. And that money was desperately needed, not wanted, mind you, but absolutely needed, not by some, but by all. The guards did everything in their power to get out of the execution duties. It just goes to show that they wanted no part of this, even though it meant putting food on the tables for their families for them to provide. They didn't want to be anywhere near these executions. Corrections Major Grover Powell, who was a guard here for 31 years, was quoted saying nobody ever wanted to work the executions. Nobody ever volunteered. Valentine Wagner was the first to be executed within the prison walls. On July 30th, 1885, Ohio residents opened the newspaper of the Columbus Dispatch to find an article that talks more about Wagner's soon-to-be-fate. The condition of Wagner, the Morrow County murderer, who is to be hanged at the penitentiary at 3 o'clock tomorrow morning, is pitiful in the extreme. He is decidedly in the worse condition today than on yesterday, and if the date of execution was only a few days in the future it is altogether probable that Wagner would join the ranks of the innumerable dead without the aid of the scaffold and the rope. On his last full day on earth, he was able to have a visit with his wife and their several children and the widow of the man he murdered. For this woman, it was truly a double tragedy. Her husband had been murdered and her brother was the executioner of her husband, and who was shortly going to be executed himself in just a short while. So she's losing her husband and her brother. Just can't even imagine what that poor woman went through. Now, in order to reach the death cell, you have to go up 10 stairs. When Wagner was told he had to do this, he was so incredibly overwhelmed that he fainted and had to be carried up the stairs by three men.
1: He had not eaten anything since the day before yesterday, and all efforts to get him to take nourishment, well, they were unsuccessful.
2: His last two days on Earth, he fainted several times. He prays for a stay of execution, but he's granted nada, and he is executed by hanging. Now, probably the youngest person to be executed here was Otto Lev. He was executed in 1890, his last words being, "All right, let her go." He was only 16 years old when he died. So, I don't know, let's kind of rewind just a little bit, see exactly what happened where a 16-year-old child was legally hanged. Now, unfortunately, Otto, he had a really fucked up life. At his murder trial, his mother, Lena, who had spent time in a mental asylum, admits full-heartedly that she would have these demonic fits of rage. And oftentimes... She would get into the regular habit of physically abusing her children. Otto, he would get it the worst. The abuse was severe and the utmost of brutality. Mom would kick him. She would pull his hair out. She would violently beat him, walk on him. While he was laying on the ground, defenseless and hurt, she would stomp on him and walk on him. She would use anything and everything she could find as weapons. I mean, she sounds more like a torturer than a mother. I mean, I, I just can't even imagine. Yeah, as a kid when I misbehaved and might get a little swat on the butt once in a great while. But this is like actual abuse. This is just, this is brutal. It's horrible. One time when he was eight years old, a year older than his future victim, Lena was beating him with the chair leg when her husband, Henry, Otto's dad, tries to intervene, stopping the vicious attack. Well, she turns on him and stabs her husband twice with a nearby butcher knife. No wonder she was in a mental asylum. They should have kept her in there and threw away the key. Well, several weeks before this senseless murder, Lena repeatedly slams her son's head into a wooden door. Hmm, Geez, I wonder where Otto got his violent streak from. Could have been from a saint of a mother. May 9th, 1889, seven-year-old Maggie Thompson. She wakes up and she goes to school for the very last time. She attends her morning classes when lunch break happens and it's time for her to, you know, walk the four short blocks to get back home. But something happens between that short walk between school and home, and Maggie never makes it. Something's terribly wrong. Maggie's mother, Clara, she knows that her daughter would never just run away or not show up. That was very unlike her. It wasn't Maggie's character. Her distraught mom goes to the Cleveland police, where they then tear the town apart, searching for the seven-year-old child. Everyone is searching for her, including Otto Leoth. We often hear in many cases where the murderer is very hands-on with the case. Many times they'll help with the search parties, they'll hand out missing posters, they'll, they'll go, you know, to the police station and ask if anything, you know, any new leads. Well, that was very much the same here that we're seeing with Otto. In fact, Almost every single day, he would approach the heartbroken mother, Clara, asking if there was any new news about her daughter Maggie's whereabouts or the case. Very inappropriate. Even if he didn't have anything to do with this, like, okay, stop coming to me every single damn day. I have stuff to do. Well, fast forward about a month later. It's early June, and Clarissa a woman who lived in the back part of Otto's house approaches the young man asking him, can you please do something about that horrible stench? The smell, a rancid smell was filling the house, invading everybody's nostrils. His reaction is,
1: Oh, it's probably just some dead animal.
2: Well, he buys chloride of lime and puts it in a ventilation hole. He even burns sulfur, but none of this helps. As time goes by, the stench just lingers and gets worse. It's during this time that witnesses see the young man carrying a badly stained bedding to the smokehouse, which was kept in the back of the property. Lena, the abuser, or more like torturer, well, she's home from the mental hospital, and that smell doesn't go unnoticed. She demands her husband, Henry, her battered husband, go down to the cellar to see if he can find out exactly what the hell is happening. Why does it stink? What's going on? Well, it doesn't take long, just a matter of a moment, maybe two, where poor Henry is seen running frantically up the cellar stairs, runs straight out the door, and right to the police station. Maggie Thompson is no longer missing. Henry finds her naked, decomposing body in the cellar. Her family had to identify her by a scar. I guess nobody ever really went down there except for Otto because he didn't even try to cover up the body. She was just laying there. Everybody in the household, well, they're arrested and questioned. When Otto finds out his mom is being questioned, he confesses.
1: I did it. I did it. I killed her. Give me a revolver so I can kill myself.
2: Okay, here you go. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm glad that he confessed because that's the right thing to do. But how can you right such a horrible wrong? You you can't. His confession, well, it seals his fate. And eight months later, he is hanged alongside another murderer, John Brokey Smith. He admits while on the gallows that he did, in fact, murder Maggie, but he did not rape her. Now, everybody knew that he attempted to rape her due to evidence on her body and that she was, in fact, naked. After his little spiel, he then calmly walks onto the gallows trapdoor and says,
1: All right, let her go.
2: 28 people are hanged here at the penitentiary. Hanging eventually ends and the electric chair is introduced. The warden shall cause a current of electricity of sufficient intensity to cause death to pass through the body. The application of such current to be continued until the said defendant is dead. And may God have mercy on your soul. Unlike hanging, hundreds of people would die this way within the walls of the penitentiary. 315, to be exact. November sixteenth, 1910 was just any regular day for John Schaup, who was at home relaxing after a hard day of work when he suddenly hears commotion outside in the chicken house possibly a fox on the prowl that's happened before well john and his brother william they go out to try to catch the fox but they come face to face with the man doing what the fox would have done except the fox doesn't know any better the chicken thief he fires three shots one killing john the murderer, well, he picks up his bag with the stolen chickens and he calmly walks away. Shortly after the senseless killing, a man named Justice is charged with murder. The day of the scheduled execution, a large knife was found in his jail cell. He admits that he was planning on using it to stab the unfortunate guard who had the duty to strap him in the electric chair. Two fellow inmates even asked if they could please be relocated far or the hell away from Justice in fear that he was going to kill them as well. Charles Justice was executed a few minutes after midnight. No one claimed his murdering-ass body, so he was donated to a medical school in Columbus. Justice was actually incarcerated during the time that the shock and Mama, that being the electric chair, was being built. In a bizarre and pretty cool twist, if you ask me, Justice worked at the prison's tin shop. He actually was the one who created the metal clamps, which would replace the chair's leather straps. Those metal clamps that he built with his own two hands would be one of the last things he felt before the electric current went through his body. Well, how's that for justice? Justice. Another person to become friends with Ohio Penitentiary's electric chair was a woman named Anna Hahn from Bavaria, Germany. She came to America where she picks up the job as a serial killer. She starts murdering people. She moves to Cincinnati where she starts befriending elderly gentlemen. Usually they would leave stuff in their wills for her and then she would poison them. One victim even left his house to her. Another one gave her $17,000. Today that's a little shy of $340,000, my friends. She claims her last victim when they go on a vacation together in Colorado, I believe it was Colorado Springs, in 1937. She is executed the following year in December of 1938. See, that's what I like, you know? I mean, back then, it was swift. It's like, okay, you're found guilty in 1937, you either die that year or the next year. Now... It's like, you know, you have people like Charles Manson or whatever who die in prison, sure, but it's like 40 years after the fact. It's like, come on, just do it. Well, she is executed, as we know, in 1938. The Pittsburgh Press writes a pretty good article about it.
0: Miss Anna Marie Hahn, 32-year-old Blonde Borgia, who befriended old men and poisoned them for their money, was executed last night in the state penitentiary. She was the first woman to die in the electric chair in Ohio. The self-styled Angel of Mercy died sobbing and praying as the heavy jolt of electricity crackled through her body at 8:11 p.m. Strapped to the wooden chair in the execution chamber, 150 feet from the death cell, she waited until the hour before her death for a court reprieve. Miss Hahn died with the Lord's Prayer on her lips. Shortly before the current passed through her body, she screamed last coherent plead for mercy. She collapsed before she entered the white wall death chamber, and she was carried to the chair by two matrons.
2: She dies about two and a half minutes after the currents go through her body. And just like hanging, it was decided that the electric chair was just too inhumane, And in 1963, lethal injection becomes the sole method of execution in Ohio. In more recent times, that being December of 2020, it was decided that lethal injection was also too inhumane and that the poor convicts were suffering way too much. So they halted all executions in Ohio until they can come up with a friendlier option. I mean, what, come on. What do you want to do? Just give them a little sleeping pill and have them die in their sleep nice and peaceful? Come on. I always think of their victims. <laughs> so, anyways, the last person to be executed in Ohio was Robert Van Hook. Fires. Riots. Executions. This place, oh, it's seen it all. For years, people have believed this location to be extremely haunted. Even while the prison was still open, it wasn't rare for inmates to complain about seeing ghosts. While online, I found one person's account where they admit that while the prison sat abandoned before being demolished, that they broke in a few times. When this person approached the top of the cell's block, it
1: became overwhelmingly hot so much to the point I thought I was going to pass out
2: she also says that she was sweating profusely and could actually see the heat waves coming off of the concrete. Throughout the years, as it sat abandoned, many locals believe that if you went too close to the penitentiary, you would be haunted by vengeful spirits of the inmates. There are several accounts of people having experienced hearing and seeing the ghostly flames of the deadly fire and hearing the condemned men screaming as they are being burned alive while standing in the prison yard. A former guard was quoted saying,
0: I wouldn't care if they dynamite at that place. It's the entrance to hell itself. I can't tell you what is there, what is seen, and unseen.
2: As we know, it has long since been gone, and is now the site of the Nationwide Arena. Nationwide is on your side. You know those commercials? Chicken parm, you taste so good. There's a reason why I'm not a singer. I suck. I'll keep my day job. This area, it's believed to be cursed. Bad things still happen here to this very, very day. Penitentiary or not, a window washer was on a platform high above washing them windows when he suddenly loses his balance and he falls to his death. One girl, she's at a hockey game, having a great time, just enjoying the game, hanging out with people. She dies after getting hit with a hockey puck. Arena employees, the ones who are unfortunate to have to stay late at night, they admit to feeling very uneasy while they are working. They often can hear strange sounds, sounds that they can simply not be debunked or explained. So, a lot of stuff going on there, as you can see. Hauntings to this very day. Strange happenings. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others, you guys. They are equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry, my friends. You can binge listen right now by hitting up any of those awesome podcast platforms such as Google Podcast, Overcast, Deezer, Player FM, Owl Tell, Spotify, wherever you may roam to hear your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcast lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to Plant City, Florida; Santa Rosa, California; Providence, Rhode Island; Alekmar, the Netherlands; and Cuyahoga Falls ohio thank you guys so much for stopping by throw an email my way at paraprowl at gmail.com come join me on facebook under paranormal prowlers podcast share your paranormal story with me you want to be a voiceover hit me up i'd love to hear from you and i will
1: see you next week